Hey, it's Lucas Walker. Something a little bit different for this episode. Colin and I recorded it for another podcast. It's very e-commerce focused on what you should know before or what you could know before going into grocery and wholesale. A lot of those myths. We recorded it in person. The audio is a little echoey. We tried to clean it up as best as we could, but something to be mindful of. So please enjoy this episode of Bricks and Clicks. Johnny will be back soon. Welcome back. Joining me is Colin Davidson, one of the partners over at Omnium. They're a CPG analytics consulting strategic counsel firm. I'll let him explain what they do a little bit better than I can because really they use data to predict the future. Thanks, Lucas. Great to be here. Always, always a pleasure whenever we get to see each other in person. Hopefully the audio is okay. We are recording in the gorgeous office. If you hear a little ambiance or, or background sounds uh, on the audio feed, that's what that is. Maybe on the, the YouTube video, we can add some, some burden captions right, right here. This is what the episode is all about. Here's Colin's title right here as well. So what we're talking about today is because Colin typically works with the brands that are driving most of their revenue through third-party brick and mortar stores, going into grocery stores. So Kroger, Walmart, Loblaws here in Canada, yep. Piggly Wigglies, Piggly Trader Joe's. Yep. That's all the, the US grocery chains I know, but adapting the strategies for them as well as their direct consumer brands. But more and more you're working with brands that have started direct consumer yeah. and are now looking to the kind of max with that channel. Now they need to go into more retail and really a lot of the mistakes that they make, they come up with quite frequently because it, it really is a totally different game with a different type of customer and different unit economics. It really is a totally different function of the business. So we, yeah. we were chatting in the green room about some of those differences and nuances. Why don't you start with that, that first point? So if I'm uh, a D2C brand, I, really, I need to start selling into more grocery stores, maybe pharmacies, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. what, what's the first thing that I should know? Yeah, so where I think about this, the first thing is that when you are a DTC brand, you're really a marketing company. Mm -hmm. So you are, first of all, you're selling your product to the end consumer, right? You have a website, someone buys it, and they're going to use your product. But when you become a brick and mortar sales company, you're selling to a retailer who then takes your product and goes and sells it to the consumer. Yeah. So when you have your own website and you're selling to consumers, that's like amazing to be able to market because you're selling to the people you market to. You have so much control. And also you you have all the outlets you're gonna have. Mm -hmm. So you sell from your store. Yep. And that's the only sell, only store that sells your stuff. Yep. So when you go into to the brick and mortar world, you become more of a sales focused organization. Mm -hmm. So now you have to knock on doors. You've got to like, you got to chase down those leads. You got to find the buyers that work at retailers to buy your product to put on their shelves. Yep. And so that's really a different competency. So one and of the struggles- And it takes a lot longer as well. I don't know if you saw just, just outside, there was a, a Ren's Pets. So mm -hmm. pets are local chain and I sold into them and, and got a, a pretty generous purchase order, but that took 18 months from when I first contacted them to when I got it, which was for a trial run yeah. to go, let alone that, that same year after year, having some idea of what my sales volume will be. Yeah. And like, how many times did you have to try and get in touch with them before you actually got someone to talk to, to start the 18 months? Like not even including connecting with execs on LinkedIn and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I would say 18 months from the first time that I 
purposely went out to say these people are on my radar. Yeah. But that was probably two, three months of just trying to get in touch with someone. Yeah. And so that's probably like, that's pretty, I would say that's good. So a lot of brick and mortar retailers, they reset their shelves once a year. Yeah. So you have to wait for a review period. You have to have been in touch with the buyer before the review period comes up, actually get invited to the review, which is not guaranteed. Yeah. And then you have to successfully sell it. So when we're planning our customers selling at a brick and mortar, we say it, it takes it takes about three, on average, three times. So every point of distribution you try and sell, yeah. each year you can get like a third to a quarter of those, which means it could take three to four years to sell that product in that retailer. Wow. Yeah. And that, that's assuming we'll still have that product in three to four years, because we don't even need to, to touch on everything that's going on with supply chain and logistics right now. Yeah. You might just not be able to make that product, especially if it's something that's very, very flower-based. If you King Rickle Flower, for instance, if yeah. you want to sell the Whole Foods, what's their supply and cost going to look like two years from now? It's going to be drastically different than today when those original buyer conversations were in place. Exactly, yeah. And then, and so when, you, when you're selling in a brick and mortar and you become more of a sales organization, one of the good things is that you can do things like you can double your sales yep. by doubling the number of stores you have. Yep. So the marketing, as a marketing organization, it takes a lot of work to drive extra sales through marketing, and it's very, very expensive. Yep. Right? You're paying for all this. You're paying for all the search. You're paying for all. Well, maybe you've got some agencies on to help rebrand. You're fiddling with pricing. You're fiddling with promo on your website, and you do all that to squeak out a little more sales. And when you sell to brick and mortar, once you get in the store, it's going to sell some amount. Yeah. And if you want to sell twice as much, you sell in twice as many stores, and so. When you start out, maybe you got into a hundred stores and if you want 10 X your sales, well, then you go sell another thousand stores. And then you can- much easier to say than to do. Yeah, I mean, it sounds good, getting more stores, but that's like, that's the game of selling in brick and mortar. It's all about the doors. And so that, that's why I bring that up as the struggle because the marketing focused companies will want to grow sales through marketing. That's what they're good at. Yep. So why would you not try and do that? It doesn't work in brick and mortar like it works on DTC. And that's a big mindset shift. Even I have a hard time making that, that line shift going from a traditional marketing funnel to a sales funnel and other totally different audience where, and it was a few years ago when I was doing it, this golden era of Facebook ads where you put $5 in, you get $25 out. Yeah. So you just you want to get as much money as possible. Yeah, yeah. Versus spending money on a promotion that'll be running six months from now and you don't know it's your first time running it. Yeah. Maybe it worked for somebody else, but will will that work for for you? Yeah. And so speaking of promotions, when you get into brick and mortar, there's a, actually an expectation that you will promote not online, not with coupons, but with the retailer programs. So some confused, does that mean that they don't want you putting a website that wouldn't allow here. They don't want you sending out a new law saying, hey, Whole Foods lovers, we're now available in Whole Foods. It's yes and, they want it all. So they'll appreciate Which, you by the way, plugging them. I keep defaulting to Whole Foods as my brick and mortar grocery store choice, and it's Amazon. Amazon is the grocery store default that I'm choosing. As if there wasn't a doubt they own. Yeah. So the trade spend line, it's something that a lot of DTC companies will forget to bake in their p mm -hmm. So when you're figuring out what you're going to sell at, what margins you need, you get a P&L, looks crazy. Okay, I got a, I got a 40 margin that's real healthy. Yeah. And then you go start to sell the retailers and 
then retailers took to say, okay, we're going to expect you to promote 16 weeks a year at a, at a, say, a shallow discount. That ends up basically taking out, say, 8 to 15 points of gross margin. So now your 40 goes down to something like 25 to 32, which is a huge difference. Yeah. What, what we're going to drop is that if you go from 40% to 32, your bottom line up. It's almost a 25% drop. Yeah. So if you made eight out of 40, uh, yeah, 20%. Yeah, so if you made twenty million dollars of profit when you're not so dropping down down Right. On something that you might have not actually at the end of the day been making any money on, because that forty percent still has to fund your SGNA, so keeping the lights on and your salaries. So what are SGA? So yeah, uh, salaries general administrative. So like paying your people, yeah. keeping your lights on, the rent and and so yeah, you can you could do all this and just break even. And, but then you find out, oh, we have to pay another 15%. So it's really important to like understand what the P&L looks like in brick and mortar because it's significantly different than retail. The other part that comes into that is that you don't get to sell at full retail anymore. So the gift of being a DTC company is you sell to the end consumer, there's a price that they're willing to pay and you get to generate all that revenue. Now, if you're gonna sell the same price to the consumer, but you have a retailer in the way, you have to sell it to the retailer at a price so that they can sell it to the end consumer at that price. So you're generating less revenue per item you sell, and you have these new costs that came in. It's important to make sure you understand all those costs when you're figuring out your selling price. And that's the thing that we see small companies fail at often is just getting the P&L set. Yeah, so I think that's, I want to say warning or, or reminder because it, it really is such a, a game of razor thin mark, especially with everything we're on right now where I like, keep going defaulting back to crap breweries and the cost of cans going up. When a few years ago in Ontario, when the campaign was to have a bucket of beer, but all the breweries said, we can't properly do this because our labels and our cans alone are a significant portion of our cost, yeah. let alone everything else. Yeah, I mean, just going on a bit of a tangent here, but in value-added products, so say a, say like a side dish that's like a ready to, ready to heat side dish, like a rice side dish or any of those types of things, they call it a value-added product. There's you can command a higher price for it because right? there's things done to it. So sort of like the tilde microwave single serving of rice. Yeah, now these types of products, like most of the cost of goods is packaging yeah. and extra processing. It's not actually in your raw ingredients. Yeah, which is uh, it's interesting to be like. You think like, oh, it's just rice. It can't cost that much. It doesn't, but it's all the other Getting stuff. Getting it in ready to use yeah. portion that it is. Yeah. Because what are the other points that, that you have direct to consumer brands or traditionally yeah. BDC brands that sort of should have or should know mm -hmm. before they go into wholesale? Yeah, I think the one thing, one last thing that I see some brands trying to do I, I mean, it's commendable that they're trying to do this, but I'm all about simplification. So the thing that often happens is that the DTC company comes in and says to the brick and mortar space and says, we're going to be different. We, uh, we don't want to be like a legacy CPG brand. We don't want to do what PepsiCo is doing. We want to sell differently. And so we're going to play the game a little bit differently. Now, they're going to like try and reinvent some wheels here. I'm big on not reinventing wheels, especially in the CPG space. There's a reason that things are done the way they're done. It's because they work. It's because people have done these over and over and over again over hundreds of years. The CPG industry is so old that like we really hit these like these optimal 
points on how to do things. Almost like aviation where there's a reason playing 15 years old or so flying it's because aerodynamics, aerodynamics. Yeah. Unless you're doing some crazy, crazy thing, there's no real game to be had. Yeah. Or even engine efficiency, it's just, this we got maxed out. Yeah, maxed out 1955. Yeah. So the thing is like, instead of trying to reinvent a wheel, which is hard and it's expensive, it takes a lot of work and energy. Yeah. Just copy what the successful people are doing. Like there, there are so many examples out there of how to do these things. Find some people that who know what these companies are doing and literally just, just copy them. It's going to work. There's a lot of room out there for brands or new brands. And if you have a new and exciting product, like that's hard enough to do. So just sell it the way we know selling it works. And if your product is good, it will fly off the shelf. If it flies off the shelf, the selling is ease. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't need to be complicated. One thing that we talk about all in the other podcasts where it, it's your show, but I hang around there a lot for someone who, I mean, you're, 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 you're a co-host. You don't want to be a co-host. Uh, it's kind of amazing to be a co-host. It's, I'm like bit from the Dave Letterman show. I'll do the intro, but I end up in all the bits. And yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm like Guillermo on Jimmy Kimmel Live. That's, yeah. It's great. Um, so, and we can even talk about was a, a specific metric, which is 10 units a week or, or $10 per Ten, minute per. $10 per store per week. Yeah, tell me a little bit about that metric and why it's so important for direct Facebook brands yeah. to pay attention to as they go into brand work. Great, yeah, so we would call that a measure of velocity measure. My, my favorite version of this is a dollar velocity. And so that's how many dollar sales, so like retail dollar sales, are we generating per store that we're selling in per week? And that's like the, that's what, that's what the Loblaws is selling for, not what we sell. Yeah. And so retailers are looking at this to evaluate who should get to keep the space on their shelf and who do we take space from? And so if you can generate $10 per store per week as a velocity, that in, in most stores in most areas would be considered safe or successful. No. So you're a good product. If you're getting in there and you're like $3 per store per week, well, you can only do that so long before they're going to say, well, we're going to try some of these and see if any of them do better. And so you want to be within the ranking of items in in the world that your buyer is looking in, you want to be in the top half, top quarter is great. It's a better selling story to sell elsewhere. You don't want to be in that bottom like third quarter because that's that's the danger zone. That's where they're just going to start. So look at velocities. Your velocities after like eight weeks of data, you're going to know what your velocities are. And that's going to tell you how much people want so that two product. Months. Two months, that's it. Yeah, two you months. Need, you don't need to wait like full year. No. It's probably not going to change a lot after two months. Like there's a chance it will. Sometimes like keto stuff happens and yeah. products that weren't good become good. But generally your velocity is not going to change that much. You do demoing stuff. Like we could debate whether the marketing actually impacts velocities, but yeah, just get it in there, see how it turns, turns well, keep selling it. If it doesn't turn well, well, after the drawing board, make some adjustments. We, we covered all the topics we were going to go through. Pretty quick. So we do have a, a little bit of extra coming. We've covered Ooh. a lot of good stuff on whatever. So we've got another five to ten minutes to to go through. Okay. Some of the stuff that I thought found really interesting is going back what you said that trademark and some of that comes off the top. Yeah. Spending ten to fifteen percent of your retail sales volume. Gross sales. Gross sales. Be lower. Yeah. So gross sales. Yeah. Yeah. Back with the retail. So what, what are some of those promotions that you can buy in store? Yeah. And, and which ones, if I'm a brand, let's say I've scaled my DTC I'm in 500 grocery stores now, 
It's time to buy some promotions, find out what's working for me. Yeah. What promotion should I start with? If I can, the perfect world, let's not worry about budgets, no, let's not worry, just yeah. ranking general effectiveness. Yeah. And so I'll assume for this that like your product is probably somewhat premium or special or new and exciting. Probably not like selling just a plain salt potato chip. Because that's kind of a different world if you're like a staple product, but most of well, us are well, out there. you've been following the Canadian and industry, industry <laughs> with Lay's not being able to offer a lot of rents, like like our friends over at the Neil Brothers have been able to get their smaller, more independently made chip brands onto that those premium Shelton spaces. Mm-hmm. So okay. if you do have a salted potato chip right now that can be Lay's, it's actually a great time in Canada. That's true. Okay. Most like better for you. I mean, there's a lot, we work with a lot of organic brands. So I'd say a lot of like that kind of skewed to higher price point. Oh. Better product. So let's say I'm selling a, a, an easy wrap tortilla. Okay. A, tor- a tortilla pack for 10 bucks yes. on the shelves. So it's it's pretty common for a retailer to say, like, we want you to promote 16 weeks a year. Yeah. Now, 16 is kind of a, a magic number uh, because it groups itself into four four week promos. Retailers tend to run when they're just doing a price discount, there's no like big ad support or like stacking up product. They usually run those for four weeks because they don't want to change the tags that often. You yeah. gotta pay someone to change the tags. So you're looking at like promoting once a quarter, four weeks, four weeks, four weeks, four weeks. That's a healthy plan and they'll expect that. Mm-hmm. You can go in with less. You can probably do eight at some places, but I would just budget that. Let's see if we can do 16. And then you try and my guidance as a starting point for this before you actually have insights into what works and what doesn't is to promote shop. So don't do heavy discounting of your product. Just promote it a little bit, just enough to get the tag to change on the shelf. Yeah. If you were to just go so in, is that like when you see the the five ninety nine item rolled back to five ninety seven? So yeah. So literally, if you go to this, if you go put a yellow tag on the shelf and say yeah. like you could have no price discount or a three cents of price discount, and you'll still sell fifteen percent more volume. Even just a yellow tag that says buy this today. Yeah, that's it. So. There's so many products in the shelf. Like, do you, when you go to the grocery store, do you evaluate every single product in the store to decide what you're going to buy? Depends on the product, but, but also- <laughs> No, what about the, the whole store? Are you going to the whole stores and looking at like every single item and then like literally top corner all the way down every single skew? Yeah. Right. So you know the ones you want to buy. Yeah. And then you might accidentally see some new products. And the thing that makes you accidentally see new products is big shiny yellow signs. Yeah. Bright colors. Our eyes are attracted to bright colors. Is, is yellow the best or purple? I thought purple was the best. You can see purple from the furthest away. I don't know, but so retailers purple. chose yellow, and and retailers know this stuff better than brands. Yeah, because they have all the data. They own the cash registers that generate the data. That's true. They're very interested in getting this right. They probably got. It. They're doing something. They probably got it right. Not always, but like they're probably right or on the right. The odds are that they're. Other of them being right or greater than you being right, just showing up saying, I want the right pink sticker instead of the yellow one. Yeah. And we could have a whole conversation about like retailers actually preempting brands like strategies. Like I've watched this before. We could probably do a whole episode about this on like retailers know what's going on so well that as a brand, you're like, okay, we need to take a price increase. The timing is right. We know that uh, the elasticities make sense for us to take a price increase. Then I've watched this where then they start to go try and model that out and plan for a price increase, they start to look at their individual retailer data and retailers have already taken a price increase in the last like two months. So it's like, oh, retailers are just doing it for us, but the brand's not getting any benefit. 
and this happens all the time. Retailers know a lot more than brands know because they see it all. Well, I think that's a great point to wrap it up. Maybe we'll have we'll a part two with Johnny. Yeah, tomorrow. If you have a CPG brand, if you like this, come check us out on Bricks and Clicks. Make some like, like a nice little grocery promotion, Colin. You'll want to get in touch with you. Where, where can they find you? Yeah, so omniumcpg.com, or you could email me directly if you're interested in learning more at Colin1L at omniumcpg.com. And make sure you subscribe wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening to this. Hopefully, the audio was all right. We haven't mastered it yet. It's been all garbled. Sucks to be you. Hit that subscribe button. That's what